because I hold so much shame around it at the minute. I just don't. Am I allowed to release that shame? Is there something I can do to support myself? Like I've, I've often thought, can I find her and write her a letter and say, I'm so sorry for how disrespectful I was. I didn't realise, you know, I've since learnt. Do I just write that letter and pretend to send it to her or is there healing that can happen from that moment? We are represented. We are represented. We are represented. Welcome to Represented, the podcast. I'm Aniki Shiru, racial equity coach for online business owners who want to be intentionally inclusive by building a business that is racially equitable. I created this podcast to normalize a conversation around racial inclusion so that fear is no longer the barrier that gets in the way of doing this work. This isn't about perfection. It's about progress. Whether you're taking your first steps or you're well-versed in the journey towards racial equity, this space is for you. So welcome home, friend. Let's get started. Where are you from? Really? No, originally, where are you from? Can I touch your hair? Your English sounds so good. Nah, I don't see color. Those statements I've shared are just some of the daily microaggressions that people of color face on a regular basis when they occupy white spaces. Microaggressions are subtle yet negative racial messages that leave the person on the receiving end feeling hurt, humiliated, and even disrespected. You may have used these kinds of statements to start a conversation or even break ice with a person of color, but didn't realize the harm you were causing. That's why I've created a free microaggressions guide with five of the commonly made microaggressions in online coaching spaces that you need to know about and what you can do or say instead. Head over to anigishiru.com forward slash micro to download your free guide. That's anigishiru, G-I-C-H-U-R-U dot com forward slash micro, M-I-C-R-O. Hey there, friend. Welcome to another episode of Represented Podcast with Anigishiru. Today's topic is all about white tears and the fact that not all white tears are harmful and as a coach holding space for white tears so in the opening audio you would have heard one of my past clients her name is Kirin Simpson and that is her in her most vulnerable state during one of our group coaching calls now all this that we've shared in that opening clip has been consented to by Kirin in fact when I reached out to her she said Annie absolutely in fact we're not going to make this anonymous you can absolutely share my name because in sharing who I am it gives this more authenticity. It allows people to identify with this a lot more and it makes it more real. And I must say that just made me so incredibly happy in that we are able to now bring you behind the scenes and share with you something that has never before been shared publicly. 
And having Kieran given her consent saying 100% go ahead and share this, we need as many people hearing about how they can be held in spaces like the one that I have inside my program represented. And so very much this topic today is around holding space for white tears. Now, if you're wondering, Annie, what is white tears? I, I kind of have an inkling as to possibly white women crying, and that's what you are referring to here as white tears, but I'm not too sure. So let me take the guesswork away from you, friend, and share with you that white tears has stemmed from white fragility. And this is a term, white fragility, that was coined by Robin D'Angelo. She's the author of the book, White Fragility, Why Understanding Racism Can Be So Difficult for White People. Now, if you haven't read that book, that is a great book to read. Now, I know that Robin D'Angelo has re received a lot of criticism, particularly from a lot of educators of color who have said that she's a white woman teaching anti-racism, and this is work that should be taught by the people who are receiving this from the front end, people of color, Black people. And I agree with that. But also, there is a part of me that strongly feels that we also need to hear from white people, especially those who are doing this work, those people who are actively working to dismantle racism. And for me, the book White Fragility has been such a great resource because it has allowed me to understand whiteness from a white lens perspective. And so that is where the white tears stems from, having white fragility. When you're so fragile, when it comes to matters to do with racism, that um, you cannot hold the space to be in these conversations. You get very worked up. You simply break down into tears and the focus stops being about the issue of racism and the focus now becomes on you, the white person. It becomes about you and how can we now stop the white tears from flowing down? How can we comfort you so that you don't feel so bad? And the issue with white fragility and harmful white tears that stem from white fragility is that they actually get in the way of doing this work of racial equity because the focus now changes. It's not about addressing uh, racism. It becomes about you, the person who has been impacted and affected so much that now the focus is on helping you feel better. And that is not how we deal with racism at all because we need to be strong enough. We need to be brave enough. Even if we are vulnerable and we are feeling the pain and the, the, the anguish that comes from racism, we should be able to stay in this work so that we can realize how can we do better. And this is where coaching comes in as a racial equity coach. This is where the coaching aspect comes in, being able to hold space for white tears. And there's a difference between white tears that want to do this work, white tears that are not centering themselves. And this is what I've come to learn in my work, that there is different kinds of white tears. There are those that seek to come in and make excuses and get in the way of racial equity. But there are those who are incredibly 
heartbroken by things that they have done and they're seeking ways in which how do I do better? How can I heal from this and still remain in this work? Not making excuses about who they are and how they're a good person and this should have never, um, this wasn't their intention. No, people who are saying, I now see the harm. I now see the wrong. I now see the mistake I made and I want to do better. And if we're not in a position as coaches, as educators, and even allies in this space, if we are not holding space and, and, and nurturing people in and drawing them in, particularly when they mess up, then what we are doing is that we are actually making this work a lot uh, difficult and harder for us to make progress. Because when you don't allow people to make mistakes, when you don't allow people to bring their humanity into this, people who want to change, what we are doing is we are locking them out. We are saying that this space, this work of racial equity is for a certain group of people, people who are perfect, people who don't make mistakes, people who call people out, people who realize that things need to be done in a certain way and it is so strict and it is so stern. And that is what I have found in my experience puts a lot of people off because they're like, I'm human. This is a space that I don't fully understand and I am going to make mistakes. And then if I am not being given that grace, if I am not being taught and allowed to make mistakes, then this is work I actually, as much as I do want to venture into, it just feels too high stakes. It feels too difficult for me to step in. And I love the words of Loretta J. Ross. She has delivered a powerful TED talk where she is talking about not calling people out, but rather calling them in. And this is very much my way of doing the work that I do. It's very much part of the framework with which I coach through, which is calling people in rather than calling them out. And she shares some bit of advice that she received early on when she started her anti-racism work. And she received some advice from a mentor, C.T. Vivian, who said to her, when you ask people to give up hate, you need to be there for them when they do. I feel this is very related to the work that I do as a racial equity coach. As I am teaching people, coaches, online business owners, consultants, creatives to be more inclusive, when they do make that step, when they do decide to embrace this work and to begin to prioritize it, I need to be there to hold space for them. Spaces like you know, Kirin, who shared so vulnerably something that she had done in the past. In fact, it's something that she did in her 20s that has held her back, that has brought so much shame and guilt and regret. And it makes it so hard for her to move forward. And here's the thing, friend, when you have shame, when you have guilt, when you feel so judged and you feel so upset with yourself, it is very difficult to make progress when it comes to racial equity is very difficult to be an ally because you'll always be faced by how you actually feel about yourself. That is why racial equity work is not just about a journey of learning how to do better, but it's also a healing journey. We are healing ourselves forward. Uh, I love those words by Maisha Tihil, heal yourself forward 
forward. And so as we take on this uh, healing journey, as we embrace racial equity, we need to understand that there's healing that needs to take place. And it's not just healing for those who are victims of racism. It is also healing for those who may have subjected others to racism. So these kind of conversations, what you've had Kieran share there so vulnerably, these are conversations that happen a number of times inside my group coaching program represented where uh, white women are feeling the safety to share vulnerably about their experiences. And it comes from cultivating a space where judgment is left at the door, where shame is left at the door, where I am not trying to make somebody feel guilty for coming into this work, but we are unpacking those things that they're experiencing as they dive into the resources of it, as they dive into the contents, the guts, so to speak, of this program called Represented. And so much is coming up for them. And as they share and they they trust the things that they're sharing, then they're making steps forward when it comes to their healing journey. And so what I'd love to talk about now is how to stay in this work, you know, when it, it comes down to how you're held. In order for you to stay in this work of racial equity, it really stems with how you're held and the communities that you belong to. If you belong to communities that are full of judgment, if you belong to communities that are calling you out and people who are constantly correcting you. And what I've heard a lot of my students say is the white women out there who are doing this work can be so vicious sometimes that when somebody makes a mistake, they're the ones calling them out. They're the ones telling them, you ought to know better. How dare you do this? And that becomes a barrier to this work. But when we're able to hold people in their truth, when we're able to see them as humans and allow them to come messy, allow them to make mistakes, and when they make mistakes, learn from those mistakes and do better, the ability for them to stay in this work, even when it gets uncomfortable, is a lot higher than when they are shamed. Because when we know people who are shamed, they do not take accountability. They become defensive. Think about it yourself for a moment. When you are accused of something or when you're meant to, when you're made to feel shame, the first thing you want to do is defend yourself and go like, hey, 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 hang on. You've got this wrong. That's not the kind of person I am. And it becomes about defending yourself rather than when somebody is called in, it gives them an opportunity to really take accountability, think about what they've done and be able to make uh, positive steps forward. And so when it comes to holding space for white tears, what I've come to learn is that not all white tears is harmful. When I arrived at this work of racial equity, there was that big understanding primarily from white fragility that white tears are harmful and that all white tears you know, get in the way of this work. But what my students and my clients have taught me is that not all white tears are harmful. Now, I want to walk you through four steps 
that I'd love for you to take into consideration if you're somebody who is struggling with getting into this work or maybe you got into this work and it has left you feeling a certain way. And by no means am I trying to say that when you begin to do racial equity work, that it will just be comfortable, that you'll sit there and you'll be held so gently and everything will be nice and smooth. No, it is about being held in a space where you feel safe to be, bring your whole self and learn, but it will still be uncomfortable. But it's about being uncomfortable in a space where you feel you can trust the person who's holding that space for you. And so allow me to submit to you four steps that you can take to help you on this journey to make progress, especially if you're somebody who has felt that this journey of racial equity feels hard. I am afraid of making a mistake or I have made a mistake and I just don't know how to navigate and get through it. So step number one that I'd encourage you to do is to journal your feelings. If you're somebody who is a journaler, this is such a good Thing to do because there's something really powerful about seeing what you've written down on paper and reading those words back to yourself. So write down everything you can that's coming up for you and what it is making you feel. Try and find out where these fears and feelings originated from. Come back to your writing and reflect on it and write some more about how you might like to feel and what actions you might want to take from there. For those people who are not writers or you don't like to journal or you just find it, it's a practice that is just not natural to you. One of the things I can recommend is doing voice notes to yourself, whether that be on apps like Voxer or sending yourself DMs, be it on an app like Slack, you know, that is really a powerful way to do this or even simply turning on Zoom and recording, recording something where you're sharing how you're feeling and you're able to articulate. The idea here is to get those feelings that you're feeling inside out, you're speaking them or you're writing them. Because once you begin to do that, friend, it begins to loosen the grip that it has on you. When you release something, when you speak it, when you write it, it begins to release the grip that it has on you. And you begin to have those early stages of your healing through that writing or the speaking of that. Step number two, find someone you trust who can support you to unpack the feelings that are coming up for you. This might be a coach, a therapist, a counselor, but make sure this is somebody who's qualified to speak about anti-racism and can offer you the support in this area, both healing and education. Because it's one thing to talk to your white friend and say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. And if anything, they'd probably tell you you're okay, you're good, or I don't know why this is such a big issue for you. They don't have the capacity to hold space for you if they're not somebody who has done this work or is an anti-racism educator. Those are the people who are equipped, particularly those who are coaches. They have the art and the skill to hold space for you. Number three, you cannot bypass 
doing the inner work on an ongoing basis. So it will require you to invest in doing inner work, not just once, not just twice, but on an ongoing basis. You have got to contribute to your own healing journey as much as you've invested in the support of somebody else. You will find that it's the inner work that you do on your own with the support that you're getting that will help you to go deeper and begin to experience that release that you know that grip that I was speaking about as you begin to journal as you begin to send yourself voice notes as you get that support and as you go deeper into that inner work and getting to the origins where this might be stemming from you begin to experience that release number four and this one is is really really important don't give up on yourself Keep going because you are needed more than you can imagine in this racial equity journey. One of the things I come across with a lot of my students who come inside represented is they say, what difference can I make? I am just a small business owner with a handful of clients or I don't have a big pool. I don't have a big following. How can I possibly make a difference? And here's what I say to them. Just as a parent is parenting kids and they feel, what difference can I possibly make as I bring up these children? It makes a huge difference how you parent them. It makes a huge difference the things that you say to them because they grow up to become who they are based on how they're raised, based on how they're nurtured. And so for you, even though you might feel, I don't have a big following, I don't have many clients, you still have influence. People have said yes to following you. People have said yes to you coaching them. People have said yes to learning from you. And so you still have influence. And I always say as well, whether you are part of a boardroom table where you have great influence or you simply have a dinner table where you have loved ones around you, you still have influence. Your voice matters and what you say and share with the people around you can and will make a difference. So don't give up on yourself. You are needed on this journey. I'm going to take a short break now. And when I return, I'm going to share with you the next steps from here. Hi, I'm Jess Miller. I'm a business strategist in Australia and I am going to share with you an excerpt from an email that I had sent to my email list on the back of a deeply, deeply personal one-to-one session with Annie, where she just so beautifully held space for all of the emotion that was arising around the the weight of inclusion work and being an effective ally within my business. So here we go. So much of this has become a barrier to actually making a difference and being an effective ally. The fear and inner turmoil has become paralyzing. But in today's coaching call, that all came flooding out. I cried about how I censor myself and overthink and fear being visible. I cried about how no matter how much I've learned, I always feel like it's never enough. I cried about how deep in my heart I want to be part of the difference, but I can't seem to move past these barriers. And Annie helped me so tenderly through it all. Not only that, 
she welcomed it and celebrated it as part of the path forward. She saw my heart, felt my intuition, and kept calling me toward my truth. That's the kind of coach she is. In her spaces, you can be in the mess of the process without any fear of judgment, criticism, or being shamed, which is exactly the kind of nurturing my wounded inner child needs and what enables me to stay open, curious, and consistent in my exploration and unpacking of this critical work. Welcome back, friend. What I know for sure is that we need genuine allies in this work. In order to do that, we need spaces that allow us to come messy, come wobbly, and most importantly, spaces that see us for who we really are. And that's a kind of space that lights me up. It's a kind of space that I have intentionally created, and it's one I know I can see the impact of what I do. Now, friend, if this is the kind of space you'd like to personally step into, I'd love to invite you to get on the wait list of my program represented. I've made many references to it throughout this episode. And so if you're looking for a place where you can be held with love, with kindness, with compassion, with grace, This is the place for you so that you can begin to look through a lens that is not held back by fear, but rather you can begin to activate your healing process and begin to dive into this work that is necessary for you as an online business owner. So head over to anikishiru.com forward slash represented. That's anikishiru, G-I-C-H-U-R-U.com forward slash represented. Thank you so much for tuning in. Why don't you go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave a review so this podcast can reach more online business owners and together we can begin to normalize racial inclusion in the online coaching space. I'd love to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where this podcast episode was recorded, the Wiradjuri people in central New South Wales, Australia. Music produced in Nairobi, Kenya by Patrick St. P. Mbaru and Kambua Mathu. Vocals by Joanne Matata. Represented.